There has been no shortage of media reaction to the riots that happened in Dublin following the stabbing of three children and their carer in the city centre. Some of the most intriguing reactions have come from commentators like Tucker Carlson. What exactly is going on here? Steve Bannon. Ireland is a powder keg. And Russell Brand. Let's have a look at those riots, the causes for those riots. Who have applied their alternative lenses to analysing our problems. You talk about the great replacement theory and people get very upset when you talk about it, but you just look at the math. Why is it that the solution is always, we're going to have to control free speech? That combination of a very heightened politics, which as we know is out there in the world already, around issues of immigration and emigration, just made it kind of catnip for certain people. Hugh Linehan is an Irish Times writer and presenter of the Inside Politics podcast. He's going to help us fact-check Carlson, Bannon and Brand's hot takes on Ireland. This is in the news from the Irish Times. I'm Bernice Harrison. Today, what alternative online media stars say about the Dublin riots, Irish politics and the political future of Conor McGregor. We're going to take a listen to one of the most prominent and widely viewed examples of that. It's an interview that Tucker Carlson did with Steve Bannon for his online show, Tucker on X, formerly known as Twitter. Many people will know who these two guys are, Hugh, but can you remind the rest of us? These are two big beasts in this world, which I think is a very different world from what the world of media and politics and the way they intersect would have done even maybe 10 or 15 years ago. These guys are both significant what I would describe as political media entrepreneurs. They they work at the nexus of media and politics. They have huge followings. Tucker Carlson really made his name as the, the big star of, of Fox News and became so big a star that they finally decided that they had to get rid of them when they had their crisis in the wake of the January 6th Capitol uh, attacks. Since then, he has started his own show with the support of Elon Musk on X, formerly Twitter. He has a massive following. Many millions of people watch him. He is uh, on the right of American politics, which from our perspective here in Ireland means he's on the far right of politics. The other individual, just as well known in his own way, Steve Bannon, a former businessman who then became the key person behind Breitbart, which is one of the first really big alternative right-wing media news uh, websites, then went on to have a central role in Donald Trump's election campaign in 2016 served relatively briefly as the White House uh, Chief of Staff, I think he was, had a bit of a slump but seems to be back on the rise again. At this moment in American politics where there does seem to be a resurgence of the Trumpist popular right, a lot of people are looking nervously towards next year's election, he seems to have moved back more towards the centre stage. So there are two big beasts, two big political entrepreneurs in the American media ecosystem. So Tucker Carlson and Steve Bannon, they tried to explain not just the riots, but they also tried to explain, I suppose, Ireland to their largely American listenership. And let's listen to some of what they had to say. What do you make of the rioting there and the government's response to it? Ireland's probably one of the worst, if not the worst, because the political class has totally sold out the people. You know, they've had, I think, a hundred and 25,000 immigrants in the last year. That That is the same equivalent if all of Joe Biden's 9 million illegal alien invaders here in our country all came within one year. That's, that's, what, that's the impact it's had on Ireland. And they're all on the public dole. There's been 100,000 Ukrainians 
in what the 18 months or 20 months since the war started, 100,000 Ukrainians all on the public dole, all paid for uh, out of the Irish budget. Now, some of that money is given by the EU, but the Irish politicians are by far the worst that are bought off uh, by the EU. They're the biggest globalists. They've sold out the sovereignty of, of the Irish. And you're seeing a natural blowback, and you're really seeing it among working class people in the cities, Irish nationals, Irish citizens, whose family have been there for generations and generations and generations and have nothing to show for it, and also in the rural communities. So Ireland is a powder keg. There's a lot going on there. There's a lot. Hoo, hoo, hoo. There's a lot going on there, but I suppose underlining it, Bannon, the picture he was painting of Ireland, very stark picture. It's of a country no longer in control of itself, overrun with illegal aliens. We don't use that expression here. Of course, they use it in the US. And these are on the dole. Um, Which is not true, of course. Well, I mean, we could nearly pick apart every second line in that diatribe there uh, for, for things that are not true. But why does Bannon see Ireland in this way? Or is it just that it feeds into his his wider narrative? Well, if I were being optimistic, I would just say he's just being opportunistic because of this events which, which have occurred over the last 10 days or so. And, and of course, the fact that we share a language means that the, the communication is much more permeable and they can jump on these stories much more, uh, much more easily. And maybe we'll come to Conor McGregor and his position and all this in a moment. But at the heart of what Bannon argues uh, is there, he mentioned Victor Orban. Bannon is an avowed Orbanist, as I think is Tucker Carlson. They've both had regular meetings with Viktor Orban and they're very much signed up to his theory of the case. His theory of the case is that Europe, white Judeo-Christian civilization is under threat uh, and it is and it is time to fight back against a conspiracy which is ongoing within our own societies to undermine and replace our society. What do you make of his mention though of Ukrainians there? I mean, Ukrainians are white Europeans. It's utterly illogical. I mean, as you say yourself quite rightly, you could Pick it all apart, left, you know, left, right, and centre. It's not true that 125,000 people are on the, you know, that are on the state dole, as he says it. As we know, we just need to walk outside the door of this building, and we see people from all over the world working very hard for wages, and that's and actually, you know, we have full employment in Ireland at the moment, and that's that's one of the things which is drawing people here. People come here to work, so that's utter nonsense. And then, yes, of course, this racialization of the issue, while avoiding the fact that actually the vast majority of people who've arrived here because of the war in Ukraine over the last year and a half are actually white Europeans. Hugh, where it takes a really sharp diversion from what you might call a mainstream understanding of Irish politics is the next bit of their chat. Let's listen. So the Irish government is trying to replace the population of Ireland with people from the third world, obviously. Okay, Hugh, obviously. What is that about? I suppose a little bit of history on this, because this is utterly bonkers, but it's also extremely important. Um, the great replacement theory, which is what Tucker Carlson is referring to there, is a conspiracy theory which has deep roots and you can actually see versions of it that go back a hundred years or more, particularly to anti-Semitic theories about what Jewish people are doing within uh, within European society. And we know where that led. Um, but the more recent phenomenon actually really largely comes from France. 
um, uh, a book called The Great Replacement um, by a, a writer called Renaud Camus, I think, published about 12 or 13 years ago. And it posits the theory that global elites, the people who really run our societies, are intent on subjugating the quote-unquote native population by replacing them with uh, immigrants, migrants from other parts of the world, from different cultures, who will be more pliant and easy for these people to rule. Tucker Carlson, you know, he, he he was one of America's most high-profile journalists, anchors, TV anchors for decades, as you say. And here he is stating this as fact, stating this is what is true about the Irish government, that the Irish government wants to replace Irish people with people from the third world. And it's presented as being not up for debate. Yeah, he is. And... and and as I think I said earlier, this is one of the striking things about this, and perhaps it's jarring for some uh, for some of our, our Irish listeners, because these are very marginal beliefs still here in in this part of the world. And it is, uh, I mean, to me, uh, just distressing and depressing that they're no longer marginal uh, in a lot of places, and particularly in the United States, because, I mean, it'll come as no surprise that Donald Trump, who seems almost certain right now to be the, the Republican candidate again next year for the presidency, um, I mean, he traffics in this all the time. So th- there's, there's dog whistle words like globalist and cosmopolitan and all these kinds of words, which again have a, an anti-Semitic undertow to them as well. Um, it is at the heart of the populist analysis, which, and of course, Bannon, uh, in his his previous role working for Trump, he was always pushing Trump in this direction. I think we can probably all agree that Trump has never read any of these books by French intellectuals. But but Bannon has, and he sees Trump as a as a useful vehicle for 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 pushing these ideas. It's uh, people talk about the far right. It's probably more correct to say the radical right. These are very different from traditional ideas of what conservative political ideas are. They are apocalyptic. They set up a scenario that the world, which you and I know, is being subverted by malevolent actors and your children's world is going to be ruined by them unless we do something straight away. Um, it's, uh, It's a very powerful message. I don't think it has purchased with a majority of people, but there is no doubt that some people do believe it. Let's hear a little bit more. But why? What's the justification for that? Ireland was never a colonial power. These are not people they once ruled coming back to the mother country. Um, The same people have lived in Ireland for thousands of years. They have a native population and they're being replaced. Why would someone want to do that? There's always been something funny about the way some American people think about Ireland. It's seen as being a badge of being you're able to indicate your white identity without coming with the trappings of, you know, imperialism or colonialism. There have been wars in Africa you know, sort of every week for my entire life and no one's saying we've got too many Africans in Nigeria, let's replace them with Indians or something. No one would even think to say that. But poor Ireland, which didn't really do anything wrong on the world stage that I'm aware of, is, I mean, in a hundred years, there'll be, you know, a, a minority of Irish people in Ireland. That's a big change and it's on purpose. How could anyone read that as anything but an expression of, of hate? I think you're seeing this because of the political class is very tied to Brussels, the political class. And there's really no true opposition party. When you think from a populist nationalist perspective, they've got a couple of uh, small parties that are starting to grow. Of course, you got Sinn Féin, who's uh, the political arm or the IRA, who are more and more taking on a nationalistic uh, bent. You've got a couple of small parties, one's kind of Trump inspired uh, to combat this. 
Hugh, you present our Inside Politics podcast, so you're talking about politics week in, week out. Does Bannon's description of, and we'll forgive him the mispronunciation, of Sinn Féin uh, chime with anything you know? Um, I think uh, listening to Bannon there, I mean, this, this this conversation is framed as, you know, Steve Bannon, expert on Irish politics, is going to come on and tell us what's, what's really happening. Uh, you know the way sometimes when you're listening to a podcast or a radio programme and you go, this guy's a spoofer. He's just read up on it five minutes before he ca- he came on air. There's a touch of that about Bannon's description of the political landscape. I'm interested to hear that Sinn Féin are moving in an increasingly nationalist and Republican direction recently. That's not, not something I've noticed myself. I'm not sure who the two small parties are. Uh, there are a number of micro parties the around the place. The ones inspired by Trump, he says. Who, well, who are they? Well, I, I don't know who it could be. I mean, the only party that has representation in the doll that is anywhere close to any of these things is Aintu. And to be fair to Aintu, I would not describe uh, Aintu as a, as a Trumpist political party on economic issues. There um, are more to the left on, on on certain social issues like abortion. They're, they're more to what we, what we call the right. They're not Trumpist. I think it would be very hard to describe them as Trumpist. So you have these micro parties, which haven't even elected a councillor, much less a TD. So uh, why Steve Bannon thinks that they're on the rise right now, I don't know. I suspect he read two articles on Gript and something somewhere else and that's what, he, what, that's what he brings to the table for Tucker's 7 million listeners or whatever they are. And look, you talk about the great replacement theory and people, all, oh, you know, people get very upset when you talk about it, but you just look at the math. This has uh, happened theory. across Europe. It's happened in Germany. This is why Orban has been so singled out. Um, this is why, quite frankly, Georgia Maloney, who, you know, was one a person who we supported a lot when she got in there because the EU was going to cut Italy off for money, really backed off a lot on this immigration policy. The Germans and uh, the people in Brussels, the party of Davos, just doesn't think the working class um, European population is very controllable. They think they're dangerous. Brussels. What's the mention of Brussels? What's that for? Well, I think there are a set of, you could call them beliefs or you could call them tactics, a set of issues, let's say, which people with with this political strategy fix on because they see opportunity uh, in them. And they are, you know, very good at you know, grasping political opportunities. And one is, and it has been for quite a long time on the uh, on the right, is being opposed to the EU. Another one increasingly, which I don't think comes up directly in this conversation, is uh, a sort of a green lash uh, against, against climate measures. Another one is immigration. And another one is about open trade and free trade. And on some of those, like, for example, the trade one, you know, you could absolutely have a completely rational conversation about that. The trouble is when that conversation gets into it being part of, as you just heard there, that the whole thing is a conspiracy, um, is a conspiracy by evil elites against against the real people. Bannon is... Um, is smart. Um, he differs, I think, from Carlson, if you listen to him here. He almost sounds left-wing at times. He, he claims to be standing up for the working class, the working class are the people who are being who are being oppressed by all this. And that taps into real grievances and real concerns that you get that we've seen in post-industrial areas of the United States, France, the United Kingdom and elsewhere, a nationalist backlash against what they see as being the victims of the what some people would call the neoliberal economic policies of the of the last 30 years or so. And that the combination of that is people coming in to take their jobs as they see them and their traditional jobs exiting to China and elsewhere. Let's move on to a subject that actually then dominates the rest of their broadcast. But in Ireland, they've taken it to a next level. I mean, they immediately came out and they're prosecuting right now, I should say, investigating Conor McGregor uh, for hate speech. 
for some tweets he put out and a couple of statements he made. The, the Garda came out and they've arrested 30 people and their whole focus is on the prosecution, on the prosecution of the people that stood up to this and the people that quite frankly were angry about it. The entire focus has been after going after the population and to try to cow them, to try to say, no, if you stand up to this, you stand up to the political class, if you have an opinion, right, which, you know, you should have a free speech. But if you have an opinion, that's going to be hate speech. And those hates that hate speech law uh, has many years in prison associated with it. So they have cracked down not on immigration crime, not on the uh, homelessness situation, the lawlessness, the breakdown of law and order. They have focused on the Irish people to really put their 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 focus on and look who's doing it i mean the head of the irish government and the chief of police what do you make of their analysis? Well, first of all, I think we should say that there is a legitimate debate going on within Ireland about um, the hate speech legislation. I have some concerns myself about some of some of the wording, and I hope to see them ventilated as the debate continues. It's moving towards its final stages in the doll over the next few weeks, so we will see what happens. What happens will we with that. see a definition of hate? By the way, do you think um, it doesn't look like it? Mm. I mean, I think one of the problems that people have with the bill is what what some people would describe as shoddy legislative wording and a, and ambiguity, and that's where where a lot of the concerns that have been expressed by by people like Michael McDowell in the Senate have been expressed around around those kind of issues, but. Setting that aside for the moment, I think you're, the more important question is, why is this a hot button issue for certain people like this um, outside Ireland? It's interesting to see the filter through which Americans look at this issue because America is different in this regard. And you could argue the pros and the cons about it. It is at the, the further limits of what you might call free speech absolutism arising from the First Amendment in the United States Constitution. Because of that amendment, they don't really have the kind of legislation that you would see in most free democratic European countries. Uh, and we can have an opinion about that and the merits of, of where one should stand and all of that. But therefore, it means that anything at all, uh, even what I think most Irish people would regard as reasonable attempts to stop people inciting other people to violence against other groups in society, even that is is barely illegal in the United States. So they do look at it, even what you might call more more mainstream people in conservative America do look at this with a with, with a very jaundiced eye. But again, it's a great opportunity because you heard the way it was framed there. What it is, is they're shutting us down. The woke police with their hobnail boots are coming through your door to take away your phone and stick you in jail because of your inappropriate opinions. And of course, they're also framing it in terms of American politics, uh, they're saying that this is the sort of thing that Joe Biden would do. When we talk about this, Bernice, one of the one of the things I think is a bit difficult in talking about it seriously, and we should take it seriously, is because it veers so often into absurdity. And this is actually one of the kind of you know secret strengths um, of the way these people conduct their um, their political discourse. Is it's easy to just say, "Look at these idiots! They don't know what they're talking about." That's not true. That's not true. That's not really the point. You know, as 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 we know from the rise of these kinds of new political entrepreneurs around the world, um, truth is not particularly important. Uh, and in fact, sometimes, and again, sorry to come back to him again, Trump was the exemplar of this. I will tell you something that is not true in order to show that I can do that and get away with it. Another commentator in the space that's weighed in on this is Russell Brand, who I don't think has ever had an opinion that he kept to himself. But he's the the British comedian, uh, disgraced, that's fair to say, um, because 
there's allegations about sexual misconduct piling up against him. But he's left the mainstream media and he is online on his highly successful YouTube channel. He seemed to me in his half hour diatribe about this, he was less concerned about race and immigration. To be honest, some of the things he said was quite nuanced. But then, like Bannon and, and, and Tucker Carlson, he went off on the hate speech laws. Listen, we listen to a bit of that. Many of the things that are pointed out as a problem in order to legitimise new legislation are, as inventoried here, already crimes for which people can be accused, charged, tried, imprisoned. What they want is the ability to just seep into your house like a gas and steal your information. Stuff that at scale is already happening between the Five Eyes nations, the Anglophonic countries, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, the UK, the US. They're changing, exchanging, stocking, stockpiling data, pooling it all together using it when necessary already. What they want is just to legitimise it and to be able to coerce social media platforms into handing over information and they want to be able to shut down independent oppositional voices. Why? Because they're anticipating that the true information that's coming down the pipeline is going to make you very unhappy and very disobedient. I suppose I should I should say something, and this applies to some of the stuff we talked about earlier as well, certainly the economic parts of the critique that we, we heard earlier. The reasons why they... they uh, uh, they achieve such success and they, they have such power is that looked at in a certain light, you can certainly see that there are truths there. There are reasons to be concerned and uh, there are reasons for people to be concerned about the global global economic policy and the impact it has on people on the lower socioeconomic rungs in Ireland and, uh, and elsewhere. And there are certainly reasons to be concerned about surveillance, be it by uh, the private sector or by governments as our lives are lived more and more online and we leave these data trails and, you know, you only have to look at, you know, the the way in which these kind of technologies are used in China um, to to have a bleak vision, possibly of an Orwellian future, in which we are we are tracked and we are penalised and we are generally monitored in a in a way which I don't think any of us would want. Now, now that all said, what is really seems to me, and setting aside the whole question of Five Eyes and the intelligence services, and one could well have, you know, concerns about them. I mean, we are at, at a moment of conflict between the way in which big tech has developed over the last 25 years or so, and the attempts in some parts of the world, primarily in the EU, um, to regulate it to an extent which it has not been regulated heretofore. And that is going to be a really important issue for us over the, over, over the next few years. And it's very easy to frame that and to present that as you know, EU governments um, and the state um, stepping into people's lives and accessing that kind of data in order to control them in the way that Russell Brand was talking. So in one way, I, I could frame that argument and say, yes, these are legitimate concerns that we can talk about, but not in the almost QAnon adjacent kind of a way in which Russell Brand does it. And this is really, this is, this is one of the things that is so frustrating about these issues. These people are not stupid. And also, you said quite rightly, Russell Brand, as far as I know, doesn't really trade in the kind of the, the pretty obvious racism that the, the previous guys we heard do. But they're all on a kind of a stream and a continuum. Uh, a, a few months ago, we had um, Helen Lewis, who has made podcasts about this culture, uh, the culture of alternative media and social media and what she calls the new gurus. Um, they all trade, they all swim in the same kind of waters. They're not all, it's not a single party with a single set of beliefs, but one bleeds into the other. There's whole other areas of it about um, the health system and holistic, you know, health and all 
all those kinds of things that work as well. So many of them seem to make their money out of selling vitamins of one sort or another for some for some bizarre reason. So it 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 is very difficult, I suppose. It's like nailing jelly with a fork uh, to say, well, what is the overall philosophy here? And I think what it really boils down to and the reason why it has so much potency, apart from the fact that these platforms themselves give people a power they would never have had before, is they do get at a truth, which is that many, many people in society feel they don't have control over their own lives and that somebody else is making decisions which are not in their best interest. Back to Bannon and Carlson, but actually Russell Brand also, because they all found when they were discussing the riots in Dublin, a poster boy, and that was the MMA fighter, Conor McGregor. He's been very vocal on social media about what's happening in Ireland, and he seems to be alluding to his getting into politics, taking over Ireland. How how would you assess that? What do you think of him and what he's saying? I think I call him, I put it up on social media. I think he's an Irish patriot. Look, he's got some rough edges. I'm Irish, right? He's got some rough edges, but I think people in times of turmoil look to people who are fighters. By being so vocal, he put himself out there as a target, just like you. Once you're out there, if you step forward and say, hey, this is not right. This is what we have to do. We have to think about the country and we have to think about the country's citizens first. All of a sudden, you're a target. He could have a great life. He's, you know, he's launching pubs. He's a, he's an internationally known guy. It's like Trump. You could go do other things. You don't need this. He's doing this, I think, for his great love of Ireland and the Irish people. Well, when Steve Bannon says you've got rough edges, you've definitely got rough edges. <laughs> now, we'll, we'll disregard for a minute the poor me setting yourself up as a target and all that. Um, does he have a point? Is yeah, there... mar- mar- martyrology is actually, <laughs> self-martyrology is a big part of this culture, yeah. actually. You know, everybody's a martyr. Does he, does Pannon have a point? Is there a space for McGregor in politics, apart from the pay cut, is there a space for him in Irish politics? Well, I don't have access to Conor McGregor's head, a fact for which I am grateful. I think the question maybe is, what does a space mean now? If you're asking me, can Conor McGregor get elected as a TD for Dublin West, and would he want such a thing? I think I'd pretty confidently answer no on both counts. But in the same way as Steve Bannon, who did hold positions of political power at at some stages, or as Tucker Carlson, who has been mooted as a Republican presidential candidate quite seriously in the past and might, might yet be again. These characters move between the worlds of business, media and politics in a way that we just was unprecedented up until about 10 or 15 years ago. And if the question is, can McGregor do that? I think the answer is almost certainly yes. He has a huge social media presence. He has an international media profile, which kind of fits with the sort of personas that we're talking about here. And there is no doubt that he still has a purchase and admiration, particularly among young men. And he could draw on that to do something. What that something would be, I'm not entirely sure, but observing his progress across social media while these events were going on over the last couple of weeks. He does seem to be testing waters to some extent. He uh, he posted some outrageous comments. One was about Ireland being at war. Then he pulled back a little bit, which again is sometimes, you know, which is, which is not unusual. But back to my first point, I don't have access to his head. So who knows if there's a strategy of some sort going on there. One of the things with these individuals as well, and one of the things which gives them the authenticity 
authenticity, quote unquote, which is one of their greatest powers, is they do honestly act off the cuff. There isn't necessarily a long-term strategy there. That's part of their potency. And in Ireland, that corrupt political class will do anything Brussels wants. They'll attack national figures like Conor McGregor that say, hey, we got to really start putting the Irish people first. Yeah. They hate themselves so much. It's just remarkable uh, to watch it. Steve Bannon, again, happy birthday. Thanks a lot for doing this. It's great to see you. Does this sort of attention matter? You know, does it have the ability to change how the world sees us or how we see ourselves? Well, in one way, it's just a moment in time. There's a couple of... concatenations of incidents which have come together. Um, I, I would point to the, the war in Israel and Gaza. Um, I think that's important because Ireland has been relatively prominent among European countries in that in terms of its its position on the war and another incident which definitely, you know, sparked a lot of response internationally was the controversy over Leo Varadkar's reaction to the release of the hostage child, nine-year-old child, Emily Hand, um, which was the subject, as we know, of, of, of much criticism uh, in, ter- in terms of the wording. And that also broke through, as they say, uh, in, the, in the United States. So it may well be that, um, that in a way a new picture of Ireland is coming together in certain quarters, uh, that it's being dragged into the culture wars. And really, these days, it's very hard to stay out of the culture wars. You know, whether you want it or not, you're going to get dragged into them. It may well be that 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 Ireland is a useful vessel for some of these uh, issues over the next while. I would make no bones about the fact that probably the fact that Leo Varadkar's name is Varadkar makes this a more, uh, makes this a, a more attractive subject um, for, for some of these individuals. The racism is very thinly veiled at times to the point of being, of being non-existent. So um, I think we probably better get used to that. Um, and there's, there's, these things are so unpredictable as well. You know, something blows up and and and, the, and and then it goes away. That there's no reason to believe that it that it won't happen again. Just to add another slightly apocalyptic note, next year is going to be almost certainly an extremely dramatic year in geopolitics. There are really significant elections all over the world. I mean, there's you know in in quite fraught elections probably in both South Africa and India, but closer to home and to our heads, there's of course the presidential election. There's a European election in which the widespread predictions of a surge in the far-right vote. There's going to be a British general election and there's probably going to be an Irish general election as well. While on one hand, elections are terrific, they're the very expression of what democracy is about. On the other hand, they are moments of instability and opportunity and these people are opportunists and they're ready for that. That's it for today. For more Irish Times journalism, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Bernice Harrison. This episode is produced by Declan Conlon. In the news, we'll be back tomorrow.